Specialty Story, session number 10. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field, give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to the Specialty Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray. If this is your first time here, thank you for joining me. If you don't listen to any of the other podcasts we do, we publish, go check them out at mededmedia.com. That's M-E-D-E-D, media.com. Today, I have a great episode with primary care and a physician who is in a solo private practice practicing family medicine. Let's go ahead and jump right in. My name is Dr. Sasha No, and I practice family medicine. And you are in a private practice setting, correct? That's correct. I actually am in a solo practice, which I started straight out of residency. Talk about that decision for a minute. The decision between family medicine in an academic center, in a community setting, or starting your own private practice. Well, um, as far as what the decision entailed for me, I think um, really it has to be about where you find your happy place to be. Um, And for me, I knew that the hospital setting was not exactly my happy place. Um, I enjoyed academia. I spent many years in academia uh, previously. This is my third career, and we can talk about that some more. But I did know that my happy place would be in an outpatient setting uh, primarily, even though I have uh, seen my patients in the hospital The outpatient setting for me was where I really felt like I wanted to spend the majority of my time. And in terms of determining whether I wanted to do that as an employed physician or as a solo, you know, as as my own practice, uh, which I owned, uh, that had, um, we had a couple of factors that that went into that. Um, I really wanted to own my own time. As I mentioned a minute ago, this is my third career. I have a family um, and I'm a bit I was older when I started medical school, so it really uh, meant that I had a bit clearer vision for how I wanted my time to be. And so when I uh, went into residency, I really focused on learning a lot about what it would take to start a practice and run a practice um, because I wanted to be able to determine my work hours and my workload um, and just have some flexibility there. How long have you been practicing now? Just over five years um, out of residency. When did you know that family medicine was what you wanted to practice? In my fourth year of (laughs) medical school, actually. Interestingly enough, I went to medical school to become an emergency medicine physician. I had shadowed in an ER for the year prior to medical school while I was still in an academic position. And I loved the ER. I loved being able to take care of patients, you know, that came in and, you know, that high acuity and um, just um, the ability to feel like, you know, I'm really doing something here and helping patients. Um, And so when I went into medical school, I thought, yeah, ER medicine is what I wanted to do. And that is what my focus was. When I got to my fourth year of medical school, 
I actually had an opportunity to do ER rotations where I was following, you know, that, that schedule where you change shifts, you know, you have a daytime shift today and a nighttime shift tomorrow, or, you know, this back and forth of sometimes working during the day, sometimes working overnight. And I really discovered that I, <laughs> I actually am a work in the day, sleep at night kind of a person. <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a normal person, you mean. <laughs> so um, for me, that is what I, that really is what made the decision for me. I actually remember telling my husband, um, I said, I think I'm too old to do ER medicine. I don't do this whole like shifting of my sleep patterns too well. You know, I was in my thirties and, and I thought, man, maybe I'm too old to do ER, the shift, you know, the shift work. Um, but really what it ended up turning out to be is just, I am happier when I work during the day and sleep at night. So family medicine for me was the absolute next best thing because I can essentially have as much, you know, deal with as much acuity as I wanted to um, and take care of patients on a continual basis. The part about ER medicine that I had, you knew I was going to miss was the continuity of care and family medicine really fills that, um, that gap for me in a way that's very fulfilling. So it turned out to be the best decision in the long run. Initially, it was a choice of, you know, necessity for sleep patterns, but it's really been the best thing I could have ever done. You mentioned the acuity of care. Can you just define that for somebody who doesn't know what that means? Patients, if they have medical conditions that are life-threatening or very, very serious requiring hospitalization, um, you know, indicates that they're, you know, a higher acuity patient. A lower acuity patient is someone who, you know, doesn't require, you know, hospitalization or, you know, going to an emergency room or anything like that. It's things that can be handled as an outpatient in office. What traits do you think lead to being a good family medicine physician? I think the most important thing or the most important trait is really having a sense of, um, deep (laughs) compassion and caring for someone as a whole. Um, And it's not to say that other specialties don't require compassion, deep compassion. I think naturally as family medicine physicians, we attend to the entire patient, you know, Um, and I'm an osteopathic physician. So the whole, you know, mind, body, spirit approach is very important, but we really also encompass a lot of what's going on, not just with that person, but with with their dynamic um, that's going on in their lives, be it with other family members. And so I think a level of um, really a desire to want to help someone um, beyond just a particular set of uh, medical problems or symptoms, if you will. Um, you really have to desire to want to have a follow-up and c- this continuity of care that, um, you know, at a, at a different level, you know, it's really about relationships, really anything we do is about relationships, but I think more so with primary care, you're really building um, deep relationships with your patients and uh, that can be very impactful to them. So I think you really have to desire those types of relationships Um, and that I think is probably hugely important. Um, I also think that you need to desire to know a lot about a lot (laughs) because 
family medicine, you know, takes care of the, you know, all body systems. So if you want to know a lot about a lot, I think it's a great field for you. I think it can be overwhelming for some people because it really requires, you know, knowledge about multiple systems, uh, the depth of which, you know, depends on the individual. But um, I think not being afraid of complexity of um, multi-organ systems, if you will, because you're going to be faced with it. You know, um, you don't just, you know, deal with one body system. Um, not to say that that's not complex in and of itself, but understanding um, to a level of how it all plays together and what you really need to address and what needs to go to a specialist is huge. So I, th- I do think um, it requires a broad depth of knowledge, and you've got to like that. What types of patients are you seeing or is a family medicine physician seeing in a typical day? So, of course, with it being primary care, we do see a lot of chronic illnesses, you know, things that from a cardiac standpoint or a pulmonary standpoint, you know, your, um, you know, your hypertension, your uh, heart failures, your COPD patients, your chronic kidney disease patients. A lot of the patients that I see because um, a, a pretty significant population of my patients are older, um, they are really... Um, pretty complicated in terms of having, you know, diabetes with heart failure and or COPD. You know what I'm saying with chronic kidney disease? Like I have a lot of patients that are 65 and over, so they're pretty complicated. That's a lot of my day is those types of patients. I really enjoy geriatrics. So because of that, a lot of my day is taken up with seeing um, these uh, individuals who really um, have multi-organ system, you know, medical conditions. Um, And then uh, probably the rest of that is really uh, on an urgent care sort of a basis, Um, not just your, you know, coughs and your colds, but we'll see, you know, your typical, you know, like rashes or cuts or... (laughs) bird attacks or chest pains or whatever, you know, I mean, we do get a smothering. I do uh, a lot of surgeries in the office in terms of dermatology surgeries. And so, you know, we'll do that uh, because I've really, you know, enjoyed procedure driven environment in the past. I really do a lot for my patients from an urgent care standpoint. So it's a combination really of your uh, routine chronic medical condition patients in addition to whatever, you know, whatever urgent situations come through the door. And we get quite the variety of those. Describe a typical day in the life of a, a family medicine doc, maybe not specifically for for yourself, but in, in general, what a family medicine doc day would look like? So um, really, as you, you know, look at your patients that you have for the day, you're really looking at, um, you're going to spend time before your patients come in, just really looking at who's coming in and why are they coming in and what issues do we need to address uh, today? What preventative type things do we need to do for this patient? What things do we need to have close follow-up on? Um, you know, so there's the preparing for your patients. There is, you know, seeing your patients and then there's documenting on everything that, you know, happens, um, which I don't think is uh, unique to family medicine. But um, a, a lot of what we, um, 
we get into as well. Um, it's a lot of, uh, we do face a fair amount of social issues in family medicine, um, which was something that, you know, was a little bit more surprising to me um, for family medicine when I started, you know, realizing that, realizing that in my training. But a typical day really involves preparing for your patients when they come in, you know, taking that time to think about really what all of their needs uh, are that you might need to address while they're here and just ensuring that they have proper follow-up for, you know, coming back and and making sure that their chronic needs are being taken care of. Um, And so, you know, you're seeing patients and then you are documenting as you go, really, and in addition to that, um, there's a lot of paperwork that comes around my desk for, um, you know, coordinating care, really, you know, whether it's um, referrals to have procedures done or referrals to specialists or calls to specialists to coordinate care. That's another thing that we do quite a bit of, um, as well as just doing that quarterbacking of care for the patient. So um, if I needed to speak to a patient um, that I'm sending to a cardiologist and I talk to that specialist to let them know what's coming down the pike for that patient. And that's something that, that I do. So um, it's a combination of all those things. Do you have to take a lot of call? And I know for, for you in private practice, it might be a little different. So maybe a little more general. Because I'm the, um, you know, I'm a solo physician of the practice that I'm at. I take call all the time. I'm on call 24 seven and uh, you might think, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Like, don't you ever sleep? And, uh, but actually I, it's not, it's, it's, um, I will go weeks without a call after hours and then I'll have a weekend Well, I'll get six calls. Um, I don't really get a, you know, I think because, um, I set a lot of expectations for my patients when I see them in the office and when they establish with me, we make sure that we take care of everything as much as we can during regular office hours. And they know for like non-emergent, I mean, for emergent care, they can absolutely call me after hours anytime and um, I can help them if I can. Otherwise, I'll refer them to an urgent care or an ER. But for the most part, a lot of the patients are, you know, I've had for quite some time. So they're well managed in the beginning. I you know, there was a lot more call, I think, because patients were new and, you know, I hadn't quite gotten them all <laughs> stabilized to where, you know, they were a well-oiled machine, if you will. Um, so I took a lot more call in the beginning. And then, you know, really, as the years have gone by, I've really seen the call being, you know, very, very manageable. I really, I mean, literally weeks will go by and I don't get a call after hours. Do you think you have good work-life balance? So I think that that ebbs and flows for me. Um, You know, as a mom, as a wife, as a business owner, (laughs) as an entrepreneur, always doing uh, other things, that really ebbs and flows for me. There are seasons where I feel like doing pretty good at it, and there are seasons that I feel like, oh my gosh, this is horrible, (laughs) you know? Um, when I started my practice, obviously that was a very intense time for us. And, um, I put a ton, a ton of hours in, you know, probably 14 to 17 hours, you know, initially a day for a good year. Um, but I knew what I was building. So we made the sacrifice to do that. However, right now, and for the last three to 
three and a half years, really, I do feel like I've achieved a lot better in terms of work-life balance. You know, I'm usually gone. I mean, today was a late day for me. I'm usually done seeing patients between 3.30 to 4. Um, and then I get to go home because I structure my administrative work in a way, in a way that allows me to, um, get a fair amount of it done while I'm here. And if there's anything left, I'll do it after my kids go to bed or I get up. I'm an early riser, so I get up early. So I do really, um, get an opportunity to spend a lot of great quality time with my family. Most of the time, um, it's not a hundred percent, you know, like today, um, You know, it's a later day in the office, even if I wasn't going to be doing this podcast. Um, There are things that happen in medicine that you can't prevent. But for the most part, I feel like I get to spend a a ton of time with my family. It just feels at times, I think, as a mom, that can be a little bit challenging because you you always want to do more. What does residency look like for family medicine? So, you know, it's a three-year residency. I think the first year is probably the most difficult um, and the first six months is is even, you know, the most intensive part of the entire three years. I think it takes about six months for, you know, a resident to really get in the groove of being a physician and being the one making the call uh, for patient care. Um, but after that first year in family medicine, after your intern year in family medicine, to me, it really um, became more routine because... I don't know, maybe it's a confidence level thing. Like you weren't as stressed out, you know, you had a little bit of experience under your belt. Um, If you wanted to do, uh, you know, more outpatient um, rotations, you can. I actually did as much inpatient as I possibly could because I knew I wasn't going to be spending a lot of time inpatient. um, And I wanted to make sure that I had as many of those skills to be able to manage my patients as an outpatient, if that makes any sense. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but um, I just knew all the things that I wasn't going to get to spend a lot of time with once I got out of residency. I try to make sure I focused my time on those things while I was in residency. So um, I think the first year is intense. The first six months, very intense. But the last two years are, you know, more manageable. And I think um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I think, after residency. If you choose to go into your own practice, then I think, you know, you'll have some intense work for a couple of years. Um, but even at, but after that, you know, things settle down, you know. So it's not this crazy, intensive, you know, constantly stressed life that you experience as a medical student or as a first-year resident. What should a student be doing to be a competitive applicant for family medicine residency? Well, I think, um, you know, family medicine residencies aren't, you know, they're not very competitive only because, you know, I mean, there's a lot of them. Many of the slots really go unfilled, um, which is sad because um, it's really an amazing field. However, I think, you know, we are seeing a shift in terms of, um, a focus for the need for primary care. We have been seeing that for years. Um, so really they're, they're, ha- you know, they're able to really look for the cream of the crop. And I do think it's a combination of competency and, um, just really, uh, affability, really, you know, you have to be competent and, and, you know, 
likable, <laughs> you know, able to work with other people. So, you know, everyone will say, well, you know, you need to have uh, great rotations, um, good, um, what are they called, audition rotations um, with the place that you want to attend. I would really recommend that if you want to be the most competitive for a slot um, in family medicine or any, but really for family medicine, it was very helpful to have an audition relate, uh, rotation. And that's recommended for any medical student. If you know where you want to go, you need to do an audition rotation there. You need to get in there. Because um, they need to see you. They need to work with you. They need to learn what kind of person you are. It's unlike, um, you know, obviously the board scores, you know, if that's kind of like the first cut, right? <laughs> You know, what are the what are the scores? That's step one. But really, it's about who you are as a person, how well you work, how hard you're willing to work. And that's best demonstrated when you do an audition rotation. So I think to be the most competitive, that's something that, you know, students should really be doing. You're a DO. Do you see or have you seen or felt personally any bias towards DOs in family medicine? I can tell you what I find are patients that come looking for me as a DO because they've had experiences with DOs before. Um, They're looking for someone who they perceive as having a different approach to patient care. Um, And so if they've had that experience with a DO before, they they come looking for me. Then I have patients that come and have no clue that I'm a DO. (laughs) So, you know, they're just looking for a physician and then they find out kind of along the way. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question about, you know, can you repeat that again? Let me see what if a, I... What about from a from a residency maybe perspective? So a, as a DO student applying for residencies, did you did you see any bias uh, of residencies that were, were only looking at MDs? I actually have to say that certainly when I applied to the ER residency, which is what I thought I was going to be doing... Um, I personally felt that pressure because you, you hear, you know, you're like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, they don't have a lot of DOs in their practice, in their, you know, program. Maybe it's harder to get in, but actually um, I ended up having, they, you know, they brought me in, they interviewed me. It was, it was, I actually had to call them and tell them. It was really sad, actually. I had to call them and tell them that I needed to withdraw from that because they had interviewed me and, you know, they were really pleased. Everything I had done was to get into this one ER residency. Um, and actually, that was the month that I realized I really did not like the change in, of the shifts, despite the fact that I loved my life when I was there, you know, working in the ER at the time. So, you know, I didn't sense that from them. I think a lot of that was some of the pressure that I put on myself. As far as for family medicine, I applied to an osteopathic um, residency, so I didn't have to worry about that. I do know that there are some of my colleagues that, you know, that is a, that is a valid concern um, for them because of the sheer numbers, you know. Um, you know, am I going to get in? You know, are there any biases there? I think, you know, the hope would be that that, that has changed. Um, and certainly with some of the changes that we're seeing with, you know, the merging of uh, accrediting boards and stuff, I think, you know, the hope is that that would be less of an issue for some people. Um, 
I'm not going to really get into that right now yeah. because <laughs> that's a whole other topic on its own. Yep. But um, I didn't feel that for family medicine, if okay. I could just put it that plainly. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. What opportunities are there to subspecialize as a family medicine doc? So, you know, you can um, subspecialize in terms of things like sports medicine. You can choose to subspecialize and do OB. Um, We see a lot of uh, that. You can subspecialize with uh, neuromuscular medicine, which um, my, actually, my specialty is family medicine and osteopathic manipulative treatment. So, I'm actually subspecialized not just in family medicine, but in um, osteopathic manipulative OMT. So I have the opportunity to be able to help patients with um, that sort of therapy when they're here in the office, unlike um, you know other individuals that just do family medicine. So those are the ones that I can think of right off the bat. There may be others, but those are the ones I'm aware of right off the bat. What do the boards look like? To me, they were essentially just more of the clinical aspects of things that we did compared to say step one and two, where it was more of the basic, you know, you saw more basic science with some clinical with the boards for family medicine. It was definitely much more of an application of the knowledge. Um, So did you have to know the basics? Of course you do, but it was more of, you know, how are we going to formulate a treatment plan for this patient or understanding what the you know, the guidelines are for managing different, you know, common um, illnesses, be it from a cardiac, pulmonary, you know, GI standpoint, etc. Um, so obviously, a, very much across the board. So in the sense that when we took our step one and two, you had to know a lot across the board. Um, family medicine, your boards are you know, very similar to that, but it is geared a little bit more towards clinical practice. So that's different. Do you know what pass rates look like? Honestly, I don't have statistics on that lately. I would imagine that, that the pass rate would be pretty decent, um, but that's just me guessing. So, okay. What do you wish now, now that you've been out in practice for several years, what do you wish you knew going into your family medicine residency? I don't know that you can really know this, until you're actually there, but the weight of the responsibility that's on your shoulders when you're the one that is actually in charge of taking care of these patients. So, you know, as a student, you're, you're, you know, you always had a resident or an attending that was, you know, ultimately, um, you know, signing off on things and making that final decision. When you start residency, um, that's it. You're, you're the one, you know, I remember on day three of my internship year, I actually did the house officer month, which is where you are the, you know, the resident on call for the hospital. If anyone on any of the floors or the ICU needs something and uh, they need a physician to help out, be it with codes or with orders or a patient's having a hard time, you know, I, that's the house officer. And so I did that my first month and, you know, so your first night, you're having to run codes and you have to manage patients in the ICU. And I remember my third day um, driving over to the, you know, to my hospital. And I think it just really kind of hit me. It was like, oh my gosh, like I'm really responsible for these people's lives, you know? And um, I actually remember crying because I was like, 
oh my gosh, this is for real, you know, and I remember praying, I'm like, okay, God, you know, just please don't let me screw up, you know, Um, and just the weight of that, you know, I feel like that was something I wish I could know before, but I don't think it's possible until you're actually there. I think it's kind of like motherhood, you know, like people can prepare you all you want, but until you're there, you don't really know what that means. And um, so in that regard, I think, you know, the weight of what the expectations are of you um, is something that I wish I knew more of um, in terms of preparation for residency. It's a, it's a you know, no matter how many, how much anybody tells you, it's a hard you know, it's going to be hard. It's hard, you know, but it's part of the process. And, um, you know, I loved it really at the end of the day. Like I loved every single day I went home exhausted, but I just loved what I was doing. So that just kind of, you know, made up for, for all of it really. What should a student be thinking about or looking into when deciding a, a residency program to apply to? So I think they need to consider first and foremost what uh where they want you know really the type of training that they want um there are different types of uh institutions that offer uh training do you want to be in a in an academic setting do you want to be in a community setting where do you you know what type of environment do you want to you know learn in that's one. And then I think from a location setting uh, standpoint, it's important to kind of think about that. Now, if you're a student and most students, you know, don't have families. Um, I had family, you know, I had a, I had two kids and a husband. Um, so you don't really have to, th- you know, most people don't have to think about that. But for me, I needed to consider where I wanted to be because I didn't want to have a bunch of shifting of my family. So you know, I think if you have a family, it's important to consider where you want your family to be. Um, because if you have to move, you know, you want to, you're going to probably be there for a while and you have to consider, you know, the quality of life that your family's going to have because you're really not going to be around very much um, going through your residency. So in that sense, location for someone who doesn't have a you know, family and they're single, they can go anywhere as long as they're getting great training. So that opens things up. But I do think considering what kind of environment do you want to really learn in um, a big hospital, a small, smaller hospital? I personally wanted to stay locally um, because, you know, I had a home and my kids were in school. So I stuck to, you know, the surrounding areas that was drivable for me. Um, But I really think quality of training and location of training, I think, are the top two. What specialties do you work the closest with? Cardiology, pulmonology, and GI. I think um, the majority of uh, things that I see on a regular basis involves the needs for, for those top three specialties. And I think, you know, probably after that would be nephrology um, and then neurology. But cardiology, pulm, and GI. I I work with those groups constantly. What do you wish those specialists knew about your job to make your job a little bit easier? Because I take care of patients who uh, really are limited in terms of their income, you know, I think it's my job to really ensure that they're able to afford their care (laughs) all the time, all year round. 
Um, and so when a specialist goes to pick uh, treatment modalities for their patients, um, the, the newest and best drug that's out may not necessarily be practical for a patient because they have to be able to afford that medicine all year long. And so I think just really being more mindful of, of having a conversation with your patients and saying, you know, is this a drug you can afford? Because we see, you know, patients coming to us where they were put on a medicine that they're simply not going to be able to afford. I mean, they're going to be lucky if they can afford it through August, September of that year based on their medical budget, on their, you know, on their um, budget for their prescription drugs. And I think that's probably my biggest challenge is because I have to coordinate their entire care, it means uh, making sure that it's affordable to them. And so I will often pick up the phone and speak to a specialist that a patient comes in and says, Dr. No, this medicine is like, like I had a patient yesterday. Her medication for her psoriatic arthritis was $1,600 a month. And she has like a $4,000 drug benefit. <laughs> She's going to hit her donut hole with the one drug, you know, by April, uh, if not before. And, um, you know, those are real issues that we face. And, you know, she's diabetic. She had all these other things going on that she needed medications for. So those are real discussions. So I have to pick up the phone and speak to the specialist and say, hey, you know, what can we do? What else can we try that my patient can afford that can be as effective uh, for her? And we don't always have that option because sometimes the medications that they're put on is really the best thing for them. But I think uh, communicating with the specialist, that's probably something that I wish that they you know, would be more mindful of um, because I'm trying to make sure that they can take care of all their other bodies, you know, all their other systems the entire year long. So, but I work with great specialists and I can always pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, you know, can we talk about this and let me know, you know, is this something that we have some other alternatives for? Or is this something the patient absolutely needs? And what are our options? Can you provide more samples? You know, whatever it is we need to do to try to help the patient out if they really do need to be on those expensive meds. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for family practice? Absolutely. It really depends on the individual and what their interests are. I know that uh, I've been approached on many occasions to be a medical director for, you know, different facilities. Um, we've, I've been talked to about, um, you know, uh, doing, uh, reviewing charts to earn extra income. Um, I really feel like uh, as a family medicine physician, I have the ability to gear my practice in ways that I can diversify how I want to serve my patients and make it my own, if you will. So there are business opportunities that they can pursue, but it really depends on what their interests are. You know, I mean, you know, here you are, Ryan, doing this, you know, great service to medical students. It's an opportunity for you to uh, serve in a different way outside of your field. Um, and so I think for family medicine, it's very much, um, you know, wide open field for, uh, for students or for people that go into that field because you're able to diversify, you know, as much as you want, really. Um, there's a lot of ways to serve. 
be a politically, um, you know, I'm very involved in my profession. Um, I'm the president of our, you know, county organization here. I'm just involved, I'm involved, you know, locally, nationally. I'm able to, you know, be an entrepreneur in things, not just in the running of my practice. Um, I have a PhD in molecular immunology um, with cannabinoid research. So that's something that is allowing me to have um, some diversification in terms of opportunities for myself to uh, educate, be it physicians or the community. So really, it depends on what an individual wants to do, how driven they are um, to go after it. Um, But I love that with family medicine, there's such a uh, a diverse uh, knowledge base that you can pick the areas that you want to make it work for you in ways outside of the clinic walls, really. What do you like the most about being a family practice doc? I love my patients. Um, You know, I love that I get to really know my patients and know their families. I have uh, three generations of, uh, you know, families that I've, you know, that I see um, because of family medicine. I can see kids. I can see, you know, young adults all the way up to patients in their 80s and early 90s. And, um... I love that I get to have these types of relationships with my patients where I really feel like um, they've entrusted me with their care. And um, once, you know, because I've earned that trust, they will uh, tend to be more compliant (laughs) um, in their, you know, response to what's needed for them to stay healthy. But I also love just the fact that, um, you know, we can laugh and we, I can be silly with them. They know me so well. They know that doctor knows she, you know, she's hilarious and they know all the faces that I make. I mean, it really is a family medicine. I mean, I love it. Um, I've had the opportunity to have, you know, monthly birthday celebrations with my patients uh, where we just get together, you know, have cake and, and snacks and, and just hang out for, you know, an hour once a month. And, um, you know, I get to do those types of things with my patients to get to know them outside of the, um, you know, outside of their, you know, their, the room uh, where we're having deep conversations. Uh, We get to have a uh, once a year Thanksgiving dinner that we do for all of our patients and, you know, celebrate uh, just a time of gratitude. And I love that I get to do things like that. And I think family medicine has really allowed me to build great relationships with my with my patients. I live in a small community. So, you know, I like that. I like that, um, you know, I get to just have great relationships with them. What do you like least about it? What do I like least about it? Um. You know the day when you have like a full schedule <laughs> and you've got the patient that keeps going, oh, and I have this and I have this and I have this, you know, you feel the pressure of, oh my gosh, I really want to take care of those needs, but I can't because I have, you know, other patients that I want to stay on top of um, and not, you know, let my schedule run crazy, you know, late and behind. And, um, I think that's my least favorite part of things is just really not being able to take care of as much things as I can when they're here. I think, uh, some of that too is dictated. A lot of that actually is dictated by patients insurance, you know, like, you know, I can take care of all of this, but I'm not going to get paid for it. (laughs) You know, um, as primary care, we want to take care of as much as we can while they're there. Uh, but sometimes we have to make them come back and that's really frustrating, uh, in those scenarios where I do have the time, but I know that I'm not going to get reimbursed necessarily for what I'm doing. Um, if I do that. So 
that's twofold. It's the inability to really take care of everything while they're here because I have to keep moving on to, you know, keep my schedule moving, um, as well as a lot of the bureaucracy that it takes to really get the care for my patients that they need. I think those are the two biggest frustrations for me. If you had to do it all over again, would you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I walk into my clinic some days still, even five years down the road, you know, five years out. And sometimes I sit in my office and I was like, wow, I can't believe I get to do this. Um, I love that I can just sit in my office and, you know, (laughs) revel in the fact that I've been so blessed to build my practice, to take care of my patients, and to just kind of do it my way as much as possible, you know, I would absolutely do it all over again. It's not been an easy road, but, you know, a lot of times things that are worthwhile usually aren't. So I really, I really am grateful that I get to do what I do. So um, it's not always a bed of roses. There's a lot of frustrations that you can have, but that comes with any job. It doesn't matter what job you have. There are challenges, but that question of would I do it again, absolutely in a heartbeat. Do you see any major changes coming to family practice, whether it be technology or medications or just the way it's, it's practiced? Well, I think that there are uh, major changes that have been happening with family medicine for the last, you know, 10 years. Um, and I think those changes are going to continue to be perpetuated. And what I mean by that is as a family medicine doc, you're really that quarterback for the patient, you know, um, trying to coordinate all their care, be it, you know, specialist care, um, ancillary care, be it, you know, PT, OT, whatever, uh, skilled nursing, uh, home health care. You're really coordinating a lot of the patient's care. Now, what we see with the way healthcare is really moving in this country is that that's really the way that we can work towards, you know, helping to ensure that the patient gets what they need and also that they can, you know, that coordination of care is happening in a way that's not, um, that there's not a bunch of disconnect, you know, um, really as, you know, there's more communication or an attempt to achieve (laughs) more communication, between um, physicians and and institutions like hospitals to be able to ensure that there's there's greater coordination of care and not a bunch of waste, but just really um, having someone who's on top of what's really going on with a patient. I think the stress uh, for that type of healthcare is, you know, has been more of the focus and is where, you know, we as a country is moving more towards. So, I think that, you know, we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. I think that so much of, you know, the value-based care that they're, you know, that, that is being, you know, said and, <laughs> and touted is um, really being coordinated by primary care, which is huge. And um, that's been the way that I was taught to practice in residency, to really take on that role and um, do the best thing for the patient. And so I'm really grateful that that was the focus of my training. So I'm not having to, you know, figure out how to make the dots connect. Um, but I think that individuals that are going into primary care, um, there's going to be 
more of a requirement for you to actively really manage that patient's overall care. And you've really got to want to do that uh, in order to do a great job at your patients. So I see, I see that really shifting. Any last words of wisdom for the pre-med or medical student out there thinking about family medicine? You know, when I was going through my rotations as a medical student, I had a lot of people tell me a lot of things about different specialties. Um, and there were a lot of people saying, I think you should do this because, you know, you should do allergy and immunology because you're a PhD in, you know, immunology. <laughs> or you should do infectious diseases because of your microbiology background. Or you should do this or that. Or no, family medicine, don't do family medicine. Um, you're not smart. In, I mean, uh, you're too smart to do family medicine. I had people tell me that. And um, there were a lot of people giving me a lot of input about what they thought I should or shouldn't be doing. And at the end of the day, I really had to stop and block out all of those, <laughs> all of those voices and say, Sasha, what do you want? What do you want that you think will make you happy? Not what other people want of you or what other people expect. Where are you going to be most happy practicing uh, medicine and helping people? Where do you see yourself in 10 years still really engaged in patient care, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, where, what is that for you? And I would say to them, at the end of the day, you have to make the decision that's best for you um, and your family. Just try, I mean, obviously we want to get those, the advice from our mentors and our preceptors when we go through our rotations, but at the end of the day, you really have to feel great about what you're going to be doing. So, you know, Take some quiet time and, and do some soul searching and figure that out for yourself. Um, because if you're true to yourself, you're going to be happy and you're going to you know, be doing this uh, profession for a long time. All right. That was Dr. No. And she, again, is a solo private practice family medicine physician. And she just shared her thoughts on what you should be doing if you are interested in pursuing family medicine. Great specialty, a very much needed specialty. I think primary care is where we need to go as a country to help improve our outcomes here in the U.S. Our outcomes are pitifully low compared to most other industrialized countries that have great health insurance, health uh, health care. Ours is ours is lacking. So. I hope you take a look at family medicine and seriously give it a thought. If you want to interact with Dr. No more, go follow her on social media at Dr. Sasha No. That's D-R-S-A-S-H-A-N-O-E. I hope you learned a ton today and I hope you join us next week here at the Specialty Stories and MedEd Media. 